Uh, so as you're turning to Acts chapter 4, this message is entitled, Pure Community. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4, verse 32, through chapter 5, verse 11. Oftentimes, these two texts get split apart, and we focus on uh, the, the story of, uh, of the believers having everything in common at the end of chapter 4, and then we move on to Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, and, and those are separated. And I think, uh, as you'll see this morning, I think these two texts are meant to actually be held together as one text because I think there's a point that God intends us to see about what it looks like to be a pure community and his intention, his, his uh, character and his, his, uh, his, his movement towards the church is particularly intentional. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, arguably, the Mona Lisa is the most valuable painting in the world right? Probably the most famous, probably the most valuable in the world. Actually, it's hard to even get an estimate what it's worth because nobody is ever going to sell this thing. The Louvre is not going to sell it. Well, you may not be aware of this, but in 1911, a man named Vincenzo Perugia, uh, he was a worker at the Louvre. He pulled off what was thought to be impossible. He stole the Mona Lisa. He sold the Mona Lisa, but it was recovered about two years later when Vincenzo decided he was going to try and sell the Mona Lisa and make some money off of this. Now, he was a worker at the Louvre, so it made it easy for him to have access, but he basically went up to the wall, took the painting off the wall, walked out with it, brought it back to his house, and waited about two years before he tried to sell this thing. Well, when he tried to sell it to somebody who was an art collector and they immediately realized what they had, uh, this guy reported it, said, this isn't right, I don't want, you know, black market uh, art dealings uh, going on here. So he reported it and the Louvre got the Mona Lisa back. Well, the Louvre learned their lesson. They will not let this happen again. They now employ the highest possible security measures. She, meaning the Mona Lisa, is covered in bulletproof glass in a heavily guarded room with countless security cameras. You can't even find out exactly how many security cameras are. They're even secretive about that. There's a laser system which immediately trips if one gets too close and I imagine guards come rushing in and tackle you to the ground and uh, give you some sort of torture. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? That sort of thing. Um, But there's also a vault system that plunges the painting into the depths of the earth at a hint of danger. And on top of all of this, it is rumored that the real Mona Lisa is almost never actually in view, but only replicas are in the display case. So if you've been to the Louvre and you've seen the Mona Lisa, I'm sorry to tell you, you may have not actually seen the real Mona Lisa uh, because they are intent on protecting this valuable painting. My point in saying all this is that, that we protect what is valuable to us. Do we not? Yeah. We, we, are, we take extreme measures to protect those things which we find valuable, uh, precious to us, treasure, a treasure to us. Maybe for you that's a loved one or certain ideals or rights as we celebrate Memorial Day weekend. We are, we are celebrating this weekend people who gave their life for ideals and rights and freedom in our own country. Uh, this, is, this is a good reality. This is actually reflective of God's character. God's people are incredibly valuable to him. And he will stop at nothing to protect his people. Particularly, he will stop at nothing to protect the purity and unity of his people, the church. He is committed to pure community. And he intends for us to enjoy unity with him and with one another. 
So today we're going to be looking at this truth from Acts chapter 4, 32 through chapter 5, verse 11. And this is a text that teaches, here's the main point if you're a note taker, this text teaches that God will stop at nothing to protect the purity of gospel community. God will stop at nothing to protect the purity of gospel community. Acts is the story of God continuing to work by his spirit after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And the spirit was given to the church to empower us for two broad categorical reasons. First, to go to the ends of the earth as witnesses, as Acts 1.8, the thesis statement of the book of Acts says, uh, to go and testify to the person and work of Christ to expand the gospel, uh, the influence of the gospel in this world. And and secondly, to transform us as the people of God. The Spirit was given to transform us as the people of God, to make us pure, to make us totally unlike the world. We are, by the Spirit's work within us, God's holy people. By the work of Jesus Christ, the application of that work by the Spirit of God, we are God's holy people, and we are to be wholly committed to Him and to one another. That's why we gather, for His mission and for our good. So through the church, God desires us to find fellowship, care, and to grow in holiness. And God is vigilantly protective of his church. God is vigilantly protective of Grace Church, of your brothers and your sisters sitting next to you here in this room, the children that are in children's ministry. God is committed to you. Again, God will stop at nothing to protect the purity of gospel community. All right, with that as background, let's take a look at this text. I'm reading from God's holy word. The English standard version uh, is the translation of, of God's scripture that I'm gonna be reading. Hear now and receive the blessing of God's word. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your own heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear became up, up, excuse me, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out 
and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Let's pray together. Lord God, your word is powerful and mighty. Your spirit is near. You have given your spirit to us this morning. We are, we are gathered and brought together in unity by you, yourself. And you intend through the preaching of your word and the ministry of your Holy Spirit to elevate your son, Jesus Christ, to make much of him so that you would be glorified. We intend, O oh God, to to listen, to hear, and to respond rightly, but we are incapable on our own. So we ask that your spirit would move in our hearts, that we would be submitted. We ask that you would remove the rocks and the thorns and give us soil that is rich and ready for the implantation of the word, that you might be glorified in our lives. And I pray particularly for Grace Church, that this church would be comforted and aware of your protection and mobilized for mission, knowing that you, O oh God, are the one who will guard them until we together see Christ's face upon his return. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to see this main truth through comparing first uh, the pure community and impure community, and then we're going to draw applications. So it's going to look a little bit different than a three-point sermon. We're going to compare these two communities and then see how this applies. Let's start with uh, the uh, pure versus impure community. The writer of uh, the book of Acts, Luke, um, is he's developing a theme that he started back in Acts chapter 2. If you stick your thumb in uh, the, the passage that we just read and flip back to Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through, through 45, and you compare that passage with what we just read, and particularly with what you see in Acts 40, uh, chapter 4, verse 32 through 35, so comparing 2, 43 through 45, and 4, 32 through 35, you find that there are very similar themes. The wording is, is, is almost identical. There's a, there's a lot of similarity, a lot of overlap going there. You can see that the, the, they are devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. You see that in chapter 2:42 and then chapter 4 verse 33. And then you also see that they were together. They held all things in common. Verse 44 chapter 2 says as well as uh, verse 32 of chapter 4. And the next thing we see uh, is that they sell their possessions to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters. You see that in chapter 2 verse 45 as well as in chapter 4 verse 34 and 35. There are other parallels too, but suffice it to say, both passages present, uh, both present, present the ideal Christian community. Now, just before each passage, there's a parallel pattern. The word of God focusing on the person and the work of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in power. 
Okay, so this is some of the, the similar context between the two. The word of God focusing on the person and work of Jesus is proclaimed in power. Then the Holy Spirit manifests himself and, and fills the believers in their gathering. So God is showing us that the proclamation of Jesus' gospel is the center of, the, of, the, of God's mission for his people. So all of the things that they were doing, all the activity that was taking place, how they were caring for one another is all predicated upon on the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The resurrection and, and, and the ascension of Jesus Christ is at the center, including what he did at the cross. That is at the center of who they are as a community. In other words, we are marked out and formed by gospel proclamation. What makes a church, what makes a community, what makes us the people of God is the work of Jesus Christ applied to our hearts and the ongoing proclamation of that work as his people, both here and in the world, okay? This reminds us that God attends the preaching of his gospel with the person and the work of the Spirit. God intends to be near to us through the preaching of the gospel, through the preaching of the word of God, with the gospel at the center of that, the, the main theme holding all of scripture together being the personal work of Jesus Christ, that's what God intends to do. Now, oftentimes when talk of the Holy Spirit comes up, that's not what we think about, right? Oftentimes when evangelicals or when people in the, the church world think of the Holy Spirit, they think of signs and wonders. They think of experience, that sort of thing. And, and I grew up in a church where experience was was focused upon the work of the Holy Spirit as far as it relates to the experience of the Holy Spirit. The, the focus was not on the proclamation of the gospel, but on going from one experience to the other. This is not God's intention for how a church is to be built together. And yet there are many churches that are built together by experience. And there's a constant push to get to the next experience, get to the next experience. God intends those experiences, they're for today. Those are good things that God blesses us with, but they're meant to follow the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're meant to be a blessing to us and, and something that gives power for the mission of God that follows out of the preaching of Jesus Christ. Not to be pursued as first and foremost, the thing that binds us together. We will go astray if we pursue experience over the proclamation of the gospel. And I, I'm just saying this to, I'm preaching to the choir as the phrase goes, right? Because I know this is a church that loves the proclamation of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So I praise God for that. That is what binds us together as Sovereign Grace Churches. That is our primary thing together as Sovereign Grace Churches is that we proclaim the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is good. That, is, that should always be our center. Now, as we get to Acts chapter, excuse me, as we go to Acts uh, chapter 4, 32 and forward, we see some of the fruit of the work of the Spirit within this gospel community that was formed. In the purest sense, the Spirit's work through gospel preaching produces a community in which God's people have a unity of heart and of soul. Do you see that in verse 32? It's that phrase, there's a, there's a unity of heart and a unity of soul. So the Spirit's work within the community is for unity of heart and soul. There is no selfishness in play. 
They hold things in common together. Now, let's just be clear for a minute. This does not mean communism. Oftentimes, people take this text to proclaim that this is, this is Jesus' way for governmental systems. Communism. Right there. You see it in Acts chapter 4, right? That is not what this text is preaching. There is a heart posture of generosity and of sharing going on, but it is not about a governmental system. This is the economy of the people of God interacting with one another. God's Spirit continues to work as the testimony of the resurrected Christ centers the gathered people of God. And this results in grace at work in the people of God, verse 33 says. Grace creates momentum. As the Spirit applies grace to our heart and, and elevates the work of God's grace in our heart and, 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 and explodes those realities to us and we see more and more how gracious God has been to us, there's a momentum that builds in a church. They see their brothers in need and they remember, I was in need. My sin had created a gap between me and a holy God and God came to me and saved me through the personal work of Christ and therefore my brother who's in need with this physical thing going on, I, I want to meet their need. That's how grace works. That's how the momentum of grace works. We see ourselves in light of the, the gospel and we want to, to move towards our brothers and sisters. This is therefore not simply a, uh, a, a, a system to live by. This is, this is an r- intensely relational way of living life. That we're, we're together now, I, I want to I make one note here. Note that the provision in this text is for those within the community of faith. This is not a social program to alleviate suffering. This text neither teaches communism as a political system, nor does it teach that the church's main goal is to alleviate the suffering of the world. What's going on here is the people are caring for one another. This, this is not talking about the church going out and every Sunday we go out and, and we hand water bottles out and we, we feed the, the poor. That, that's, there is, that's not what the, the community of the church is primarily meant to gather for. The community of the church is meant to gather for the proclamation of Jesus Christ, for our upbuilding, and for sending out into gospel proclamation. That's what will affect the world. I had a, a friend who's now passed away. He was coming to our church for some time, um, and he was, he was adamant that our church was not faithful because we weren't going out and every week doing something for the poor and the homeless and those that were that were um, destitute in our world. And, and I said, listen, brother, I agree. Those are good things to do. I'm not saying those are bad things to do. But he, he went to this text. He said, don't you see? This is, what, this is what you should be doing. And I said, no, brother, actually this text, again, it's good for us to do that. But this text is talking about us watching over those who are of the household of faith and caring for our brothers and sisters who are in need. As a family, our first call is to one another. Gospel momentum, grace momentum should mean that we care for one another. Now, again, I'm not saying it's wrong for Christians to meet the needs of the lost needy. That's a good thing. And there are other texts that address that, many other texts. And and I think that's an important burden that should be on our heart, but it should be rightly prioritized. Now, moving on to verse 34 and 35, we see a definition brought to how this sort of attitude plays out. Those who had land and houses and possession, they saw their needs. 
the, the needs of their brothers and sisters. They sold their goods and they brought it to the leaders so that the apostles could distribute it to those who were needy. Then in verse 36 and 37, there's the, the chapter comes to an end with an example par excellence in Joseph from Cyprus. Cyprus being an, an island in the, the middle of the Mediterranean. He says he was a, a Levite. He was, a, um, he was a, a man who was given this name uh, Barnabas, meant son of encouragement or encur- uh, an encourager. Uh, but, but Joseph, how did he become a Christian? Well, perhaps he was converted by witnessing the amazing events of Jesus' life and death and resurrection himself. Or maybe it was through the, the preaching of Peter But whatever it was, he had been saved and he had been made part of the people of God and he was active in his church community. So he was brought into this family and he was he was all in. He he Luke tells us that he was called Barnabas, which again means son of encouragement or the encourager, and 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 he was known, him being all in meant he was known as one who gave grace through his words, through building people up. That's what it means to be an encourager. He, was, he had the reputation of the kind of guy you want to talk to, the kind of guy that you see him coming and he's got his hands stretched out and he's got a smile on his face and he wants to know what's going on in your life and how can I give a word of grace to you. He was looking to, to flank his brothers and sisters and just stand with them and walk with them. He was transformed by the Spirit's work, so much so that he was giving of himself all the time. It's no surprise that this is the man who took the field that he had and he sold it and gave the proceeds to meet the needs of those who were his brothers and sisters, who he cared deeply for. He practiced what he spoke. This is a picture of pure community. And, and Barnabas's heart is worthy of emulation. Do you know encouragement is one of the greatest tools God has given us to build our church together, to build Grace Church together? Encouragement is one of the great graces of Grace Church. I know that you know this already and you know this to be true here at Grace Church, but, but when, when you see men and women who serve and who give them of themselves to build up others, that's strengthening to the life of your church, of this local body, right? And, and you know the people who I'm talking about. Right now, there are, there are people's faces who are in this room that are coming to your mind. You're like, yeah, Tom Ryan, I don't think I've ever not seen him smiling. He just, he just had surgery and he's smiling, shaking my hand, saying, how you doing? He's, he's just loving people. Nora is just a servant. She wants to know what's going on in your life. There's, there are countless people, Chuck and Eli Price. They, they're just people all over this congregation. Just They love on others. They care for others and they seek to encourage others by giving grace with their words and their life, their attitude of how they serve other people. That's, that's what God calls us to be, who God calls us to be to one another, because that's reflective of the heart of Jesus Christ who gave himself to us. This sense of keep going, brother, keep going, sister, God is with you. That strengthens us when we find ourselves weary or in need. So how does a church become the kind of church that God intends? Again, remember, 
It pre- what precedes this scene is through God's purifying work in the hearts of his people, and it's the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spirit at work. So let it be that our encouragement is always connected to the work of Jesus Christ, empowered by the spirit of God. Let it be that we are a people who are looking for attributes of Christ and encouraging other people for how they reflect those attributes of Jesus Christ. That's what will build community here. Now, the ideal picture of a pure church is always at risk, right? Just like the Mona Lisa, like any, any bad dude can come into the Louvre and decide that he wants to get close to that thing and, and try and pull it off the wall. He won't be successful, but like you can get close to the Mona Lisa and you can get close to the church and have wrong intentions. And, and in fact, that is always going to be the case until Jesus returns. The church will always have a degree of being under attack. So Acts 5 sets a contrast on the atta- and shows us the attack on pure community. In verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, we're introduced to Ananias and Sapphira. They're the anti-Barnabases, if you will, in uh, this story. Ananias and Sapphira, they're a married couple, and they, they follow Barnabas' actions. They look at him, and they're like, hey, I want in on the game. Everybody was like, Barnabas is the man. He's the encourager. He's selling his land, and he's getting all kinds of laudatory words. Let's get in on that. So they sell some stuff, and they say, let's do the same thing, but let's keep some of that money back for ourselves. They, they respect Barnabas for his selflessness, but they want the recognition themselves. So they do what he did in part, but their heart is revealed as they conspire together to hold back some of the profit. They want the full accounting of the accolades, but they're not willing to part with all of the money. So what do they do? They lie. Pious Ananias goes before Peter and he's spinning a yarn about how this was the whole sum But again, God cares too much for the purity of his church. So the spirit speaks to Peter who confronts Ananias. He tells Ananias that Satan has filled his heart. Can you imagine if that was the case in modern day all the time that like you told a little lie and one of your pastors was like, no, I know that's not true. And what goes on in the rest of the story I'm I'm grateful that God's mercy has been upon me. My dad was a pastor. So my pastor growing up for, you know, 22 years of my life got a lot of lies from me. And thankfully, I didn't end up dead, as you can see before you this morning. Praise the Lord for his mercy. See, what wars against the purity and unity that God intends for his church is the hearts of mankind. Wicked hearts that are willingly rejecting God's purifying touch. So this is insidious because you don't always know where the attacks are coming from. You don't know until you're well under attack at times that you're under attack or that the purity of the church, the unity of the church is under attack. This is what Peter means when he says you have lied to God. Peter asks, why did you do such a thing? You are under no obligation to sell the land or to give all the proceeds from the sale. The issue is that not not even that Ananias held back the money, but that he lied to the church, that he lied to the spirit of God, that he lied to God himself in lying to the spirit. He had an impure heart. He did not care for others 
or for the holiness of God as much as he cared about the words of of accolade and, and affirmation for himself. So instantly, God strikes Ananias down. And, and the men nearby pick up his lifeless body. They drag him out, and he's buried. God stops at nothing to remove impurity from the people's midst. His holiness will not be trifled with. And then we see Ananias' evil did not die with him. He was in an impure community with another person, his wife Sapphira, She swore to support his lie. Three hours after Ananias died, she comes into Peter's presence and tells the same story. Do you see how sin infects a community? It it seems like Ananias initiated the deceitful scheme, but she went right along with it. Sometimes we're not the ones who initiate the evil scheme. We're not the ones who, who start the gossip. We're not the one who starts the tearing down word. But we pass it on, and we're in league with impure community. Ananias and Sapphira are a warning to us. Whether we're the one who initiates or the one who picks up the sin and carries it forward, we are accountable for how we carry ourselves before God and in his church. And God takes attacks on the purity of his people and the unity of his church with utter seriousness. He will defend his bride and he will bring punishment and judgment to those who perpetrate wickedness against his church. Now, thankfully, as I said before, this will and may continue to look differently for for us than it did for Ananias and Sapphira. It It may not be lying about finances for us, but if we're walking in sin or propagating sin in the body of Christ, we too must be warned. This is not okay with God. God is not okay with the church being treated with laxness or with the willingness to stain it with impurity. So we must each ask ourselves, do I take the purity of God's church seriously? Do I I take my own motives seriously? Am, Am I concerned about the way I speak, about the way I interact with my brothers and sisters? Years before I was a pastor and before we went to our previous church, I, I began to engage in some pious, pious critiques against a brother who was in leadership. And it was for a number of things and for a number of reasons, none of which I can justify or dress up. They were, there was just downright gossip and slander, tearing this brother down, and I didn't go to him. And, and, and at the heart of it, what I was trying to do was to look spiritual I was, I was trying to look spiritual by tearing him down and saying, this is the way it should go. And doesn't he know this and blah, 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 blah. And, and you know how that, that story goes. And, and what I was doing is I was really, I was engaging in deception, trying to get others to see me as pious while I was the one that was acting impiously. I was the one who was acting impurely. I was the Ananias in the situation and I deserved his punishment. I thank God for his undeserved mercy. But I think what is just as common and far more insidious is that we can be Sapphira. We we give ear and attention to the poison spewed by others. But you know, you cannot drink poison and be unaffected. You can't listen to the lies of others and be unharmed. And, And you can't listen to the attacks of your brother and sister on another one of your brother and sisters 
or against some, some person that you're, you're mutually interacting with. You can't listen to these sorts of attacks and be unaffected by this. Where, wherever we go, we will spread the infection. If we give ear to gossip or to slander, if we don't cut it off, if we allow complaints towards others to, to grow roots in our hearts, it will produce evil, wicked fruit in our own lives. We will bring attack on the purity of God's church ourselves. We will be in league with Ananias. And it is not pleasant to be dealt with when the Lord's wrath and punishment comes upon us. It is great to be under his mercy and under his grace. It is good to fall under his care. So as his people, we, we should see Sapphira as exhibit A and, and call out that sort of insidious gossip and libel and slander and encourage others to speak what is right, what is true, what is honorable, what is good. And if they have an issue, to go and speak one-on-one and not spread those sorts of statements widely within the church. What are we to do with a text like this? It can be kind of a heavy text, right? It's, I mean, you got people dropping dead. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like the kind of text you're going to preach on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning when you got a bunch of people that are just kind of like, give us something that makes us feel good. No, this is not a feel-good text. So what do we do with a text like this? Well, going back to the end of chapter 4, what is this, does this text teach that we should sell everything that we have and bring the money to the church? That we should give all we have and carry out some sort of Christian communism within Grace Church? No, no, that's not the point. The point is not to deny us personal property or to demand that we sell all that we have and, and put control in the church's hands. That's not the point of this text. The point is that we're to look past ourselves and see the needs of our brothers and sisters. It's, it's to think like the Lord Jesus Christ. As Philippians 2 says, he, he looked past his own divine rights and took the form of a servant and emptied himself for, for the, the glory of of being filled with servanthood and humbling self for your sake and my sake. Focusing on Christ, in other words, transforms our hearts so that we see our position, possessions as a gift to be used like tools to serve other people. Everything that we have has been given to us by God and is for his glory, including his glory by giving it away at times. Or using it so that it would be a, a blessing to, to God's church. I, uh, recently, I was in Louisville, at, 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 and I was at Devin's parents' house. And I was talking to Devin's dad, Bob, and he said, this house is, God, we prayed that God, when we moved from Maryland, that God would give us a house that we could use for the blessing of the church. So we're there with, I don't know, there's like 60 people. I was there for a class, and there was all these Sovereign Grace pastors there. There were like 60 people gathered in his house, and, and that was his intention. We don't want a house to simply have it as a refuge from the world. We want to use our house as a blessing to our church family, to, to our brothers and sisters. That's the kind of heart posture God delights to see in his people. That we, we're not required to sell everything, but we desire to give everything away. And, and in light of what Christ has given to us, is there really anything I want to hold back? 
In light of how, how Christ has lavished me with grace and mercy, and I, am not, I have not been stricken dead and carried out and buried for my deceit and my lying and my other sins, God has been gracious to me. Is there anything that, that I say, no, I, you know, thanks for the gift of eternal life, but I really don't want to let anybody use my car. Like, that just sounds insane when I even say it out loud. See, often we come to church and we receive the ministry of the Spirit, but we do that for our own soul. And that is a good thing. But this text reminds us that when we come here, when you come here to this church and you receive the blessing of God, it is meant to be passed on to your brothers and sisters. You don't gather here just for yourself. You gather here for your brothers and sisters as well. And, and God will stop at nothing to protect the purity of his people, including that he won't stop with us being uncomfortable, meaning when he calls us to be gathered together in a church for our brothers and sisters, and then he directs us to give something away, it will be uncomfortable for us, for the purity of our own souls and for the purity of the church. So if this text does not make you uncomfortable with your level of materialism, with your level of stinginess, with your use of time and money and hesitancy to meet the needs of your brothers and sisters, you're probably not reading it because it should make you uncomfortable. In your heart, are you willing to give away everything? I mean, honestly, I am not. And I need this text. I need to go back to this text more than yearly. I need to go back to this text probably daily because I am a selfish person and I need the Spirit to give me open hands over everything that I possess. My time, giving grace, words of encouragement. How about as it relates to protecting the purity and unity of the church, this church? What is your heart posture related to that? we, We give little thought to the weight of our words as though they're of small consequence. But this is not true. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they were trying to pass themselves off as pious and worthy of honor, but their secret dealings didn't match their pious outward show. And we do the same thing. We raise our hands in worship, and hours later, we're raising our voices in anger. We speak of the greatness of God's grace around Christians, but then on Facebook, we're passing on complaints and immoral posts. We gossip, we slander, we tear down our brothers and sisters rather than speaking graciously over them as as God has spoken graciously over than us. These are the kinds of things that come out of my heart. I don't know if you're like me, but these are the sorts of temptations I deal with and the ways in which I fail. Do you take these things seriously? And do you see them set in the context of your local church and your brothers and sisters and the, the health and the strengthening of your brothers and sisters? Do you value the gift and the unity of this church so much so that you're willing to fight for it and even fight your temptation to be seen as right or fight your temptation to engage in gossip and slander? are, Are you willing to fight for your brothers and sisters in that way? Friends, there is almost no greater gift than the local church. Almost no greater gift. Our own salvation, our own families, these are, these are wonderful blessings, gifts, right up there. The local church is a supremely gracious gift from God. He laid down, Jesus laid down his life to make us his people. We are extremely valuable to him and he will protect us. 
Will we keep in step with the Spirit and likewise seek to keep the purity of the church intact for His glory? It depends upon our willing participation. Does it not? We must engage rightly. And, and if, you are, if you're here and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ or you don't have a relationship with God, you, you need to know that all of this starts, what we're talking about, this glorious gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it all starts not by our initiative. It wasn't a group of people that got together and decided, you know what, we, we need a char- church in Clarksburg or we need a church in Arnold, Maryland. Let's just get together because on Sunday morning, I don't really have anything else to do and I'm not really a big fan of brunch, so I'm gonna come and just kind of come and hang out. No, that's not what, why. It, it, this church was formed because Jesus died on a cross for sinners. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, your biggest problem is that you are a sinner and God has reconciled all who will put their faith in Christ to himself, giving them life and welcoming them into the blessing of the church if you'll just turn from your sin and receive that wonderful gift by trusting in him. So let me encourage you, receive the gift Enter into his church and be blessed by it. One of the, one of the things that, that this text also reminds us of, God's commitment to, um, to protect and purify his church, one of the things that we can often forget is that that means when attacks come, and you know what it's like to be under attack in a church, when attacks come and it looks like my church is blown apart, it looks like, Oh no, could my church be blown apart? Or could this treasured dear family that I love, could they be gone next week? God's got it. God is in control. He will not let Grace Church stumble into a hole. He will not, he will not let Grace Church or churches of our, our uh, brothers and sisters that we love that are faithful gospel preaching churches, he will not let them be tainted for eternity. They will go through trials. We will go through trials. We will suffer in this life. That is true. But God will use even the attacks of the evil one, even when they come out of our own hearts, he will use even those for his good and glorious purposes. When we are in heaven, standing around the feast table, we will look at one another and we will see God had it under control the whole time. He was always working for the purity of the church and it will be certain for eternity. So if you've been rattled in your past church experiences or your fear fearful about something going on in the church right now, know this, God has it and he has you. He will not fail. He will not stop at anything to protect and preserve his people. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this word of confidence, Lord, that does not come from us, but comes from you. You are a protector. Lord, you keep your people. Lord, when attacks press in. Lord, you, you are the one who stands up, and yet we have a role to stand up and to fight for the purity of the church. Lord, I pray that this, um, this word would stick in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, and, and you would teach us how to apply it in our lives. And I thank you for Grace Church. I thank you for our partnership. I pray that you would uh, help them, and equip them, engage them, Lord, in, in a wonderful way as brothers and sisters together, that grace through encouragement will go forward. And Lord, that uh, additionally, that the gospel may go forward into, this, into the community. I pray for uh, this morning in the park that's coming up, even that that, that would be a, a way that the gospel goes forward, Lord, and that it would all be for your glory. 
We praise you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.